Well, again, it's great to be with everybody. We're going to be in chapter 20 this week, and we are going to spend time chapter 20. I don't know how long it'll take us. There's a lot of information I've prepared because there's a lot of great stuff in it, and then we're going to move into chapter 21. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. We'll be off next week for Ash Wednesday. So chapter 20. All right. Um, before I... Before I get into verse-by-verse verse stuff, we're going to look at verses 1 through 3 to begin with in chapter 20. I want to kind of give us a big picture. I've been trying to keep this sort of in my own head, and after the men's study this morning, I, I think at times we just get confused because, again, we're going chapter-by-chapter, verse-by-verse, and we're not reading it all at once. Plus, this is apocalyptic literature, and we know that there's some... A lot of symbolism, a lot of images that we just go, what in the world? And it, they're not as consistent with the character of God and the gospel. And, and so we struggle. We have a little bit of uh, trouble kind of interpreting these things in the correct manner and not get off into la-la land or some fictitious um, way of looking at things. But the overall thing for me as I look at chapter 19, 20, and 21, and then of course, 22 later. But in those three chapters, 19, 20, and 21, I want us to think about the picture of the original defeat of Satan. Okay, The original defeat of sin and death was on the cross. Uh, Jesus went to the cross, died for sin, for our sins, and ultimately defeated death as he showed us in the resurrection. And so that's happened. That's a spiritual matter. And because we have faith in Christ, we can have faith in Christ, people know the good news of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. We call that the gospel message. And because of the gospel and God's love and grace, we thus have defeated sin and death ultimately as well through what he has done for us and our faith. Now at the end of chapter 20, we get a forever win against sin and death like evil. Uh, right now, you could say the picture has been is Satan, the beast, all this stuff's been locked up, thrown in, thrown away, um, and that is not a temporary lockup, but that is an image for us in a spiritual realm that Satan still has influence upon the world. Now, I know that that's a different picture than what we've always heard, been waiting for Jesus to come again, and and thus, you know, what does this mean in a thousand-year reign and some different things. We need to spiritually kind of look at this as uh, a healthy, in a healthy way that Jesus has defeated Satan, locks him up. We see this thousand-year reign, which is not a literal thousand-year, but a symbolic thousand-year reign. It, it means God's perfect timing in God's perfect will. And we're going we're gonna to look at that. But all that wrapped together... Then we get a glimpse of the eternal victory at the end of chapter 20 and what that might look like um, because Christ establishes his kingdom forever. So just kind of think of that big picture wise and then we'll just break a few things down and that'll help us kind of keep everything somewhat together. Uh, there's a lot of literature that we're going to go through, a lot of different notes, and these are important chapters, so I'll, we'll have a lot of fun. Please jump in, ask questions, or bring up thoughts, things you've heard. So verse 1 through 
verse 3 in chapter 20 says, Then I saw an angel coming down. Again, another one of vision from John. I saw. I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. He sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil. We have identification of who this dragon is, the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and locked and sealed it over him so that he would deceive the nations no more until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be let out for a little while. So we have this strange image of uh, Satan, the devil, being locked up, and then he's going to be let out. Um, We have a thousand years we hear about here. We've talked about the millennial a little bit, uh, gave you a sheet just to remind you of the theories concerning the thousand-year reign that we hear in chapter 20. Uh, We've talked about the millennial before. You have another sheet that probably uh, you might remember. And this kind of gives you a layout of those theories. Uh, A millennial is your traditional kind of viewpoint of this. Uh, doesn't mean that the other ones are wrong. They just, as you see on the sheet, there's some biblical problems with those views. We talked about those biblical problems. And um, so we have the angel. John sees this angel. John sees uh, that he's holding a key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And what does that mean? What's a symbol? Uh, what does the chain represent? It, it represents power. It represents the symbolic power of God, that God is the one in charge not the devil, not Satan. Uh, he's not the one that's ultimately uh, going to be able to say whether he wants to be released or not. God's in charge of all of that. And this thousand years is technically only taught right here. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a thought you hear throughout the scriptures. Uh, it's not something Jesus taught about. It's not something Moses taught about or King David or anything like that. And so we have to deal with it. And we will deal with it, and we wonder exactly what it is, and that's where you have that little chart of what that millennial is. Uh, We would probably agree with most, like uh, Augustine and Jerome from early Christianity did a lot of work, uh, theological work for us. The more traditional understanding would be it's a symbolic time period, and we're going to talk about why that has credibility as well. And we're going to look at the symbolism behind that 1,000 as well. Now that is different than the other viewpoints. We understand that. And, and you can have another viewpoint. That's fine. Um, so we have this spiritual pit. He throws him into a spiritual lockdown is what he does. I'm going to go back to chapter 19. I'm not trying to, I just want to keep a, a, an image and I'm not trying to say this is exactly the timeline. That's what I struggle with with all this and you probably do is this timeline of when all this happens, when all this occurred before, when will it happen in the future, is it happening right now, all this stuff's going on. To me, we can look back at chapter 19, as scholars say, we can see that this, this coming of Christ, this victorious Christ, is also representation of the, the, a flashback, too, of the incarnation of Christ coming into the world in his ascension. And ultimately, we know, and we see in verse 3, he throws him in the pit, he locks him down, he seals it over him so that he would deceive the nations no more until a thousand years were ended. After that, he must be let out for a little while. What is that pit? Where is that pit? What's the lockdown? How is, 
is Satan defeated? Do you remember when Satan was defeated? What, what do we consider the cross of Christ, the cross, the sacrifice on the cross, and the resurrection? How do we say, who, what, did, what did Jesus defeat? What do we say in songs and in Bible studies? And what do we believe as Christians? Anybody? He defeated, he defeated death. He defeated death. He defeated sin and death, right? Is how we kind of, we say that, right? So he defeated sin and death. And um, so the, he's been defeated. He's been spiritually thrown in this a pit and locked down. Does that mean he doesn't have influence still? He's still alive, right? Um, if you look at this literally, he's still alive. He's still influencing things. He still has nations he might be influenced, but he doesn't have any power anymore over you. He doesn't have any power anymore over the, your, you in the sense of sin and death. Like you uh, have the power, as Paul says, you have, the, you have Christ inside of you, and ultimately you are no longer a slave to sin, even though we deal with sin. Okay, but we're not a slave to it. And we have the power over that because we have the Holy Spirit power in our life. Yes, do we sin? Yes. But Christ forgives us of those sins. When we're judged, he'll see us as white as snow. So we have already, in faith, we have already won the victory. Uh, we've already defeated sin, and we believe we've already defeated death. There's that resurrection side of things. So you can see this picture. It, it actually works very well with the history of Christianity and what occurred. And so you could say, timeline-wise, this is when Christ did come. He came. He locked the devil down. He said, you don't get to influence the world like that anymore. We've got the gospel available. People's hearts are going to be changed. Spiritually, we have victory. And even in death, we have a resurrection. Okay, Y'all checking with me? Does that sound okay? It kind of helps us uh, understand where we are in all this. So... Um, couple other things that are important for us. So spiritually, in verses 1 through 3, basically we have this angel that deals out the fate of evil. Um, he, the very thing that pursued righteousness uh, throughout history is now locked up. Okay, The devil, Satan, dragon, evil personified, whatever you want to call it, has been chained. And the ultimate power is now in God's hands. And so, again, back to sin and death has been defeated. And it appears that maybe Satan is in some sort of control, but he's not at all. A theological truth behind this understanding is that we believe Jesus Christ, like I said, reigns. Yet we experience, okay, in the church age, right, Christ is reigning. The gospel is there, the good news of Jesus Christ, grace, love, the defeat of sin and death, it's all there. Yet we experience not the fullness of it all quite yet on earth. We, we experience some of it. We experience everyday resurrection, right? We are a new creation in Christ every day, but we don't ultimately um, have, and we know there's evil out there still. We know there's sin. People are influenced by the devil, even though he's locked up. Um, Satan is alive and well, but he's not in charge. Okay, is that that trek along as well too? Um, one one spiritual things that I think is always important for us, um, and I see it a lot, and I try not to do it in my own life, but we can't give the too much credit to Satan. Um, sometimes we do that. Uh, 
uh, we say, well, the devil made me do it, you know, that type of stuff. Uh, oh, it was e that was Satan doing that. Well, if Satan's locked up, you know, if we really believe that the thousand-year reign symbolically is occurring, he's locked up. He has influence, yes. Um, and you could say, well, the devil influenced me to do it. But I think when we do that too often, what it does is it fails uh, human beings fail to take responsibility for their own actions and their own words. And I see that a lot. So, uh, no, you actually chose those words. No, you actually chose those, you know, actions. Um, so we need to take a little bit. And this might be the spiritual reason why we struggle. So many people struggle with responsibility, taking responsibility for their actions in our today's world because they have given up on the understanding they've given up on really the truth of God in their life. And so uh, a lot of people, just even Christians, want to blame the devil, you know. Um, we can zombify people. You've heard me preach on that before. We can zombify people. And what do you do with zombies? You shoot them in the head and you kill them, right? Because you just, they're, they're an other. They're not, they're not um, people we should love or people we should forgive or whatever. So we love to have sides like that. Now, Jesus says what? Love your enemies. So we're supposed to be different than that, but we aren't all the time. And a lot of it has to do with our understandings of, oh, Satan made me do it. I give too much credit to Satan, and you take away your own personal responsibility. Any thoughts, questions right now? Any comments? Because that's a lot, too. Anything y'all have? So we, we, we hear the thousand-year reign. You see you have the little sheet before you that um, historical millennium, post-millennium, pre-millennium, and a-millennium. And again, a-millennium probably is really, uh, I would say, the more biblical, traditional biblical viewpoint. Um, it's, it's important for us to see that. You could... Um, you can read that through that, and you can see that this this age, church age, and the tribulation, and all that's symbolic for this sort of church reign of Christ, the reign of the gospel, those type of things. Um, again, it's the most controversial uh, issue that we encounter usually um, when we deal with these scriptures, and and I can't get away from that. I mean, it just is. Um, and some people feel, and this is where we get the controversy, because some people feel that all other images, all other drama that takes place in Revelation should be understood through that thousand-year reign, the literal thousand-year reign. And so that's where you get a little bit of that tweaking going on and the differences. Historically, uh, the thousand-year reign... Uh, isn't always, we would assume it's not a literal time. Wesleyans um, have never given much literal uh, doctrinal, uh, doctrinal uh, significance to it. Um, we, you find diversity within the Methodist Church, United Methodist Church, Wesleyans on this subject. You're going to find all different realms of people. Um, and again, is it a literal time? I I would say it's this beginning of the church to the end of the church and, and the symbolic thousand years. Why is it symbolic? Well, uh, are, you know, uh, 
the other question is, is, well, did this, are we in the midst of it or did it happen before? Or is it going to happen in a little while or whatever? Um, this is a book of signs. That's what Revelation is. And we have to read it as that. And we've been interpreting things along the way as best we can. The number 10 is a symbol of sort of perfection of order, God's order, God's will, okay? When you take the number 10 and you multiply it by itself three times, three is, the, is that number of the Trinity, then you get 10 times 10 times 10, you get 1,000. You get this period of time, you could say from the incarnation of Christ, where the church is established, to the reign of uh, till the end of time. All this is going on. So it's the reign of the church will last the perfect length of time according to God's will. That's a great way to think about it. So thousand years symbolic for the reign of the church and it's how long is it going to last? Is it a literal thousand years? No, because it's been almost 2,000 now. And so it will last a perfect length of time according to God's will. When God is ready, the next thing will happen. So this messianic kingdom that we live in is in two stages. Um, Christ comes, Christ demonstrates his power over the devil, uh, over sin, over death, and inaugurates the kingdom of God. We, in believing in Christ, having a personal faith with him, and our justification, we are basically uh, symbolically enter into the kingdom of God. We also symbolically uh, and literally, you could say, in, in our enter into the kingdom of God in our baptism, right? Uh, that's God's prevenient grace with babies or possibly if we did it as adults, it happens sort of all at once, justification and the entering of God's kingdom. But there's a second part of this, and that's the second coming. That's the end of all time. That's the new heaven, new earth. And so we've got that picture in chapter 19, picture chapter 20. All that has to happen for chapter 21 to happen. In order, Christ ultimately had to come the first time, defeat sin and death, lock up the devil, you could say, and then reign. The gospel reigns, the church reigns, and then things might get bad again like at the end of time. That's why there is legitimate understanding that at the end of time, perhaps before Christ comes again, that things could get worse from a standpoint of persecution of the church. Is that the only characteristics of the end to moving towards the end of time? No, but that is a common thought. So that's legit, I guess. But also another legit thought with a millennialist understanding of things is that the gospel will continue to spread and more and more people will be uh, Christianized, you could say. And so there's a positive, there's an optimistic outlook on what the church is doing, what the gospel of Christ is doing and because the devil's locked up. Now, the second part of all this happens is, is Christ literally will come again and, and establish his kingdom. And that's where the new heaven, new earth is. And we're going to look at that in chapter 21. So again, a lot there. I just spoke a lot. Anything uh, you all feel, you got comments, thoughts, um, what does that mean? It's not an exhaustive study of it because it's almost impossible to do so. Anything? Y'all have anything? Why would the devil be released? 
And that's a good question, too. I think that's where, um, to me, to me, I would have to stick with the non-literal understanding of that. And because that's the way we've been looking. So if, if we look at the whole book as a non-literal understanding of things, symbolic, what would that mean? That's where it's going to get worse for the church. Does that make sense? Like I talked about at the end of whatever time it is. And that time could last hundreds of years. I mean, a lot of times we think, oh, it's just, to, it's this year. You know, it's like, oh, COVID hit. It's like horrible, you know, and it's like, no, persecution of the church has been pretty bad for a long time and it might get worse, right? So um, that's, that's that, I think it's a symbolic understanding that at some point in time that evil influence of Satan is going to get worse. Is it literally some fiery person with horns somewhere in the lake of sulfur like going to be unchained by God? I just, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know. We don't have any record of that guy wandering around the earth anyway. So... Um, so that's, that's, that's the answer to that, Fred. I don't know. Does that sound, I mean, that, I, that's how I would see that. Um, well, I mean, it just makes me wonder if mm -hmm. he's going to be released for some unknown period of time and then this is correct. put back in the pit again or. Well, then he's just going to be totally at the end of 20, totally obliterated. So that's where it's different. So that's where I have to, for scholars, I mean, it's not me thinking it, but for scholars, they're like, okay, how do we deal with that there is evil and sin in the world in the, in the age of the church? And we deal with it that, I mean, ultimately it says there he's locked up, but he's not dead. So he still has that influence. And then later on, he will be totally, total evil. Whatever evil the personification of evil is or manifestation of evil in our lives is all going to be gone. And for eternity, and all of creation will be restored. Uh, and um, again, there could be an opti. I, I think the thing I took about when I was looking at this is there could be an optimistic view of what's going on currently. That I would say, as you look back in history, look to the first century church. They were doing amazing things with the gospel. That the gospel was spreading like wildfire. But if you look at society as a whole, society wasn't influenced as much by Christianity and the understanding that we have. I mean, in America, we have been established by Judeo-Christian values, right? Uh, all men created equal. Like, that's not even normal, right? That's biblical. That's not normal in most societies. That still doesn't exist in most societies. And so you could say we have come so far. So optimism, we need to look at what the church is. I mean, we do good. The church does good. Uh, the gospel does good. I mean, we are equipped with something greater and grander than ourselves. And so it is working. Now, you can take the pessimistic view and just say, well, everything is just going to hell in a handbasket. Um, but I don't know. That's where I look at it and go, I don't know if it's going to hell in a handbasket. I mean, there's a lot of horrible stuff that's occurred. I mean, we've actually made some headway, you know. Um, yes, is it perfect? No, because the devil still has influence. Um, so a lot going on there. Um, so what do, what do we know? What do we know? Well, in stage one of all of this, Satan is bound, still has influence. Christians must fight evil, right? Um, evil doesn't win in the end, but as, as 
Christians, we have to fight evil, and we fight evil with God's love and God's grace and the gospel, and it's possibility of a greater tribulation at the end of the church age. That is possible. That might happen, right? And um, But we need to, I guess that kind of fleshes it out. And then the second part of this stage is whether the church rules the world or not, that's not so much what matters. Ultimately, in the end, we're going to hear that all evil is defeated and the eternal reign of God and creation fully restored begins. And that's what happens in chapter 21. And this is a glorious picture. That's why we can look at that and go, finally, you know, that tension that, yeah, we're living in it a little bit now, but we're not fully there, all goes away. It's actually going to happen. And so that's the beauty of all that. Anybody have anything else? Any, any thoughts? Okay. All right. So let's go to verse 4 through uh, 5. Then I saw thrones, and those seated, and then another he saw, this is another sign, I saw seated on them were given authority to judge. Okay. And I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony to Jesus and for the word of God. So these are the martyrs right here. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. So, this is where we wonder, hmm... It sounds like some people have been resurrected already and others who have died are in oblivion or where do we go if we die tomorrow? Where do we go if we die today? Those type of things. Let's start with the first part of this. There's special treatment for martyrs. Okay, We know that there's a physical body that's happening because they are not headless anymore. Right, They're in the presence of God, and they actually have their bodies. They actually are saying earlier, right? So they can shout. There's a physical body. Um, we do have the judgment of people that, that happens here. They're given authority to judge, and you think, hmm, what does that mean? Jesus actually said that the 12 disciples would have authority to judge. What does that mean? I don't know. Um <laughs> we can guess uh, in our human understanding of things. We always want to say, well, those people aren't as good as us, and so I'm going to judge them. And so we need to be really careful. How does this work? Well, God is our judge ultimately. God might use some of those who are uh, fully faithful, and he is transformed to, to help do that. What happens when you're a Christian and you're judged? What does God see? Anybody know theologically what he sees? We sing about it a lot, you know. He sees like, Christ. huh? He sees the image of Christ. Yeah, he sees the image of Christ. He sees, you know, our our uh, sins have been washed away, right? Um, white as snow. We believe that. That that's taught. That's that's legit theology there. And so, do you have to worry about being judged? No, you don't. Um, is judgment always bad? It is the way we always think about it, but it's not always bad. I mean, to be judged righteous, that's, you're going to be judged righteous. So you don't have to worry about judgment. You're not going to... I mean, we talked about it this morning with the men. 
I always think about this. There's pessimistic and there's optimistic views of what judgment would be too. Let's think about your judgment. Do you think God wants to go, hey, Janet, come on up here. We're going to show you all the bad stuff you did in life. Why wouldn't God just spend, if it, first of all, we don't know if you're going to have a reel of your life. You're just going to be accountable for all that. And you're accountable because in faith, Jesus is accountable for it. And you know, But why wouldn't God just show you all the great and grand stuff that happened? I mean, he would. He'd be so proud. He'd be like, "Good and fa- you know, well done, good and faithful servant." You know, because I see Christ in you, and you know, it doesn't matter you messed up over there, but boy, look at all this great stuff you did. So we tend to make God this sort of hound of heaven in a bad way, and I don't. I think that we need to be careful of that because we believe in a new life in Christ. Romans chapter six, verse five through ten. Well, let me read read that. I think it's important uh, at this point in time to sort of address uh, what we believe theologically and understanding. Uh, uh, so Roman chapter 6, 5 through 10 says this, Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we are set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death is no longer, uh, no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin, but now he lives. He lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. We can't forget that. Just because it's revelation and there's some sort of judgment going on doesn't mean we can forget that truth about us. And so we're Christians. So there's this rejuvenation power in Jesus Christ, and it's not fully realized yet, but we believe it's happening because of Christ's death and resurrection. Our crucifixion, you could say, uh, in the sense of our baptism, our surrendering to him, all that stuff, uh, death and sin has been been thrown out and we're no longer slaves. So... um, any thoughts, questions on any of that? Okay. I think that's important for us to deal with right here. Um, so there's two types of people that we see in these verses, okay? Or two classes of people. We see the faithful people. These actually would be the faithful that we read about in the Old Testament that had some covenants with God and also in the New Testament who had the covenant of faith, Okay. And then there's another class of people, and those are the rest of the dead, and those would be those who died in their sins. I don't know exactly all of what that means. I don't know. I mean, people have proclaimed it for years, and they supposedly know. Uh, but I would say those are the folks that have rejected God's grace. How many of those people? I don't know. Who are those people? I don't know. It's not my job to, to know. But... Um, though I think there are people who are, have free will, we believe in that, and they will reject God's grace, and thus they will be dead in their sins. Um, what will judgment, what will happen, who is judged? All are judged, right? Uh, 
But who is found innocent? The faithful is found innocent because of Jesus' work, God's love, God's covenants, those type of things. Who is found guilty? Those who ultimately just reject God's love and grace. Those who have died in their sins and are separated from God. This is a spiritual thing, so that's where it sometimes will blow our mind. Is there uh, no chance after you physically die to be a part of being forgiven? I don't know. Um, it's been taught historically that you don't get a decision after death, and a lot of that is just fear-mongering. You want to scare the living bejeebers out of everybody. Um, so theologically, you could, you could say, I don't know how, how much is out there. Either way, post-mortem de uh, decision or not. Uh, this is a spiritual understanding, so we have to look at it in a spiritual realm that uh, the rest of the dead did not come to life until those thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. And so uh, we'll deal with the first resurrection, the second resurrection. They have a lot to do with um, uh, different, well, connections to the first death and the second death. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Any thoughts, questions, comments about that stuff? All right, so if you do, jump in there. Uh, verse 6, blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him a thousand years. So let's look at the first and second resurrection. We hear, the, we, we hear about the first. This comes in various stages, you would say, as a spiritual matter, right? We believe, and I said before, we believe that we do, in faith, have some sort of resurrection in Jesus Christ. We are promised to be new in Christ, new in the Holy Spirit each and every day. So that, you could say, the concept of resurrection is happening each and every day in our life. But, ultimately, this also happens at the end of our physical life, and we will have a spiritual and physical resurrection and live for all eternity with a spiritual and a physical body. And what that looks like, we don't know. We don't know exactly what that means. So that's verse 6. Now, if you jump to verse 12 and 13, you also um, hear about death and another death. Well, there's a second resurrection, and that's where the wicked are judged by God. Unbelievers experience a second death. And the second death is linked to that spiritual thing, okay? So we, you could say, um, let's look at it from a believer's standpoint. First resurrection, belief in Christ, we have some faith. There's this new resurrection each and every day in our life, spiritual uh, thing going on. At the end of our life, we die. There's a second resurrection, ultimately. And that resurrection is connected to our spiritual understanding of things that we will live forever, Okay. Um, so it's sort of the stages, various stages type thing. Uh, we'll deal with the judging and, and all that stuff in a minute. But um, So first death is sort of the spiritual, um, I mean physical idea of things too. Um, you could, you know, uh, think about, hey, you know, they're, they're going to die. Everybody's dying a first death. But the second death is where you want to stay away from because that's the spiritual death. That's the thing that's sort of eternal. Um, and we're called to be priests, it says here, those who share in the first resurrection. Over these, 
The second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ. Priests are bridge builders. Priests are people. We are doing that right now. In our first resurrection, we are actually priests for God, sharing the gospel, sharing the love, grace of God. Do you see how that works out in a spiritual manner? I'm not reading into that. It's just biblical, good biblical study that scholars say. And then we will reign with Christ. We as the church are reigning with Christ. We don't reign by ourselves. We currently are reigning on earth with Christ. Um, we might be thinking we're losing, but we're ultimately not losing. Okay, do you get that message in Revelation? You're ultimately not losing. You might think you're losing, but you're not losing. You're making headway. And it's a spiritual matter, has spiritual ramifications. Okay. Any thoughts on any of that? It's a lot of, lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. Okay, verse 7 through 10. When the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from prison. Okay. We kind of talked about what that could be. And we'll come out to deceive the nations at the four corners of the earth, meaning everyone. Gog and Magog, in order to gather them for battle. They are as numerous as the sands of the sea. They marched up over the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. A fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Okay, so Magog, um, Gog and Magog, you would say, well, okay, this is a literal place. Where is this? Let's find this because this sounds like an interesting battle that we want to be around for as we see the devil get beat. Well, it's an invented name. Um, Magog is not a real place. Gog is a real place. There was an invasion of Gog. That's from Ezekiel chapter 38 through 39. But that's a different name altogether. It's a different usage of the word and stuff, so you can't actually tie those two together. Verse 8 really stands for everything that is against God. So you can write that in your notes if you want. Everything that's against God gathers in a large battle. You would say spiritual battle. Again, we got to keep the symbolism here. Spiritual battle. And they march and they try to spiritually overtake the saints, the beloved city, whatever. And ultimately they're defeated, right? The nations that oppose God and His divine plan will be ruined, overtaken, dead, de defeated, destroyed, whatever. A lot of times... Uh, been playing off this tension uh, about for us looking at in on self um, throughout this time. Could this be America at times where we we love you know consumerism, we love self, we you know it's it's a culture we live in. But we could also play it on on if we if we think about this reality of nations being used by the devil, um, we could think of China. Right? You could think of China as that. I mean, they are heavy, heavy in the persecution of the church, right? If you were a Chinese person, a believer, and you were in the church, and you were reading Revelation, understanding this, you could go, well, that, that's like my life, you know? Um, that's what we're enduring right now, you know? And again, we've endured that throughout the ages and uh, continue to do so until this final sort of battle happens. And that's the final judgment picture. That's what we get here. 
in verse 11. It starts the final judgment picture. Okay, um, So let's jump in on that. Then I saw a great white throne, and the one who sat on it. The earth and the heaven fled from his presence, and no place was found from them. So I'm just going to start there. We've been talking a lot about symbolism. We've been naturally our Western mind wants to go, well, no, I've heard that's literally this and that's literally this. Then we get a picture in verse 11. Again, this is all symbolic. This is apocalyptic um, literature and and symbolism and, and images because here's God on a white throne and then it says the earth and the heaven fled from his presence and there was no place to be found for them. I mean, that's not literal. That, that, I mean, that's weird, right? I mean, it's like, okay, everybody's gone. Then there's nobody to save, nobody to judge. It's all gone. So you can't, you can't do this literal thing, okay? Because it doesn't hold up. <laughs> it ever, never holds up. So you have to constantly symbolic, you know, what does that mean? Well, first of all, he's got power, right? I mean, everything sort of fled, and you're like, because he is the only focus, you know? I mean, you got you to gotta kind of look at this. So God sat on the throne, and I saw the dead, great and small, meaning everyone, okay? Standing before the throne, and books were opened. Also, another book was opened, the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works as recorded in the books. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and all were judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So... Whether we like it or not, we hear of a judgment. Now, this is apocalyptic literature. It's all about judgment. Change before you burn, basically, is the fear-mongering in this uh, imagery. And that was just a form of communication, a form of literature. So let's deal with it spiritual manner, right? Is all will be judged. But we also hear... There is a book that was open, and the book there was a book of life that was open. There was all these other books, but the book of life was open as well. You can look at that, and you go, you know what? We pretty much write our own destiny. God gives us free will. We can write our own destiny, and that's where verse the rest of the book kind of uh, or the rest of the verses come into play for me is that the overall picture to me is okay. Some people, if you don't want a savior. If you want to stand on your own, God's going to open up those books and he's going to go, what'd you do? What, you know, if, you, if you want to try to earn my love, if you want to try to please me, did, did, your, did your good stuff outweigh the sin? You know, and that's the picture here. And then there's the book of life. And your name's in the book of life if you have this faith in God. And it's written through the Holy Spirit, right? We talked about it's not written in pen. It's written in the Holy Spirit. It's on our hearts. We don't have to worry about that, right? We don't have to worry about that judgment of, oh, did your did your good stuff outweigh your bad? Because technically, there are a lot of there are some people in the world that their bad has outweighed their good, and they still came to Christ at the end or at some point in time in their life, and he accepts that, whether we like it or not. That's the story of the laborers, remember? Jesus tells this parable of the laborers, and he says, you know, hey, They've been working all day, went out and got some late. He needs some more, and then he pays them all the same price. 
And you're like, well, that's no fair. You know, that's you being faithful all your life to Christ as best you can. And then somebody come to faith right at the end, they get the same thing you do. And that's the grace of God. And you're like, well, that's not fair, you know, but that's, that's, that's who God is. So verse 13 um, addresses an old school thought. And I think it's important for us to see that here instead of go, Theologically, you know, all this stuff, wow, that sounds just weird, you know. Uh, d do we go anywhere when we die? There's so many other scriptures that say we do. Um, we have the multitude of saints already in whatever heaven is exists. Um, Jesus, we've dealt with it. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. I mean, there's a lot of just other scriptures that say that you're going to be somewhere. You're not going to just be like... but. Let's just say it's all in an instant. Maybe you die today and Christ comes again, okay? So God's infinite time is he can do whatever he wants to do, okay? You're not going to know that you were sitting around for thousands of years. I just don't think that that's going to be the case. We hear different. But verse 13 has an old school thought that if you died at sea and you didn't get a proper burial, then you were going to last forever at sea. You were never going to be resurrected. You're, this goes back to the whole thing. Should we cremate or not cremate? Because if you don't cremate, you're not going to have any bones or body to resurrect in the last day. That type of thing. Okay, It's this same sort of understanding that was there in the first century. Basically, if we look at this theologically, we can say no matter where you die, you will be judged. God was going to judge you. Okay, And no matter where you die you're going to have a chance at resurrection. So, I mean, whatever the timeline is, I'll leave that up to God. Okay? So, um, any anything else on that stuff? And I'll talk about verse 14. So, verse 14, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, and this is the second death, the lake of fire. So, death and Hades thrown into uh, whatever this is, this lake of fire, the spiritual thing, and it, they're burned up. So there's no more death anymore. There's no more evil anymore. What does that mean for people who have been judged? What does that mean for people who have been judged and judged righteously? I don't know. We don't have actually have a lot of details right there. Um, am I trying to bring in, soften this up? No, perhaps, um, you know. There are some people that are judged and didn't quite make it, and they, you know, have to, like, be in fiery furnace, right? Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown in the lake of fire. So that's a little scary. Again, that gets back to this is apocalyptic literature. What's the timeline? Is this a, this a spiritual understanding? Is there a post-death uh, decision? I, I don't know. I don't know the answers to any of these things. Um, ultimately, we just we don't have all the details. We just know God wins, okay? So if you're a first century Christian, you're wondering where you're going when you die, somebody beheads you or you have to be crucified, the answer is, eh, you win. God wins in the end. Um, and what hell is, is hell a lake of fire? Um, hell is uh, a lot of people, and I would agree, is any sort of separ separation from God is hell. Um, because there's no love, there's no grace, there's no mercy. 
Um, it's why so many people experience breakdowns on earth when they don't have faith sometimes because they literally don't have any grace and mercy and love in their life. They, we've seen that before. We've, we might have, that might have brought us to faith um, because of that. So separation, eternal separation from God would be amazing torment, um, whether it's a literal burning in hell or whatever that means. So um, fire any comments on that? I mean, there's a lot, a lot to be said. I, we'll probably look at some hell stuff next time we, we gather. What could that be? What does it look like and all that?